Hey, what's up? Another episode of Eastman's Elevated coming at ya. So we made it into the new year here and, and able to finalize my deal with Eastman's Hunting Journals and, and Eastman's Elevated. And so last week I had a chance. I ran over to the head office and, and able to have meetings about the future of Eastman's Elevated and the direction we want to go. And, and then also able to sit down with a bunch of these guys and crank out some really good podcasts. Um, so on today's episode, I sat down with my bosses, Guy and Ike Eastman. Um, those guys are just a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of knowledge about hunting out west, about tags, about public lands, and and then about the industry as well. And so we were able to sit down and have some really good conversations. Um, we talked about, oh, we've got the 100th issue of the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal coming up. Um, which is it's just so awesome. I mean, to, to be a part of this magazine and to be a part and be able to write an article in the 100th issue, uh, it's just surreal for me. I, I grew up running to my mailbox to, to get my latest issue of Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal and pick up tips and tactics, and, and not much has changed. I mean, I, well, all of us writers just pour our heart and soul into that magazine to give you guys the best tips and tactics we can get. So we've got that coming up. Um, with that, the podcast today is sponsored by Matthews. Um, Matthews Bows, um, they're just coming out with great uh, next-level bows, um, I, I shot my first one last year. I shot the Halon. Um, I really psyched with this bow. I, you know, I got into a rhythm and a routine with that thing, shooting it all summer long, and it shot really good for me. I was able to take a really nice buck out of Wyoming and, and then a, a nice bull out of here, Montana, with it. Um, and it's just a real consistent shooting bow, and, and their engineers have done a heck of a job over there. And, and then also, you know, they've got their new bows coming out, and they must have been listening to me. They came out with this new Halon 32, a longer axle-to-axle bow. Just an awesome bow. I can't wait to get it in my hands and get shooting it. Um, but but yeah, I'm really liking their bows, and I, I like them as a company. So I want to thank them for for standing behind and supporting this podcast, and and uh, so we want to continue that relationship. But but I, anyways, I've been talking for long enough. I better get into this podcast. Here we go, Guy and Ike Eastman. Okay, so I'm live here with Guy Eastman and Ike Eastman. Guys, how's it going? It's good. Good. How are you doing? Good. Um, so yeah, we've created this partnership, uh, launched this podcast, and now we're partnering uh, with Eastman's and Brian Barney to create this Eastman's Elevated. Um, I just think it's great how you guys keep evolving the brand and, and uh, keep changing as the times go on. And this is just a new platform where we can share information with the Western hunter and help improve his hunting skills. So I, I'm just so happy to partner with you guys on this podcast. Well, we appreciate it, Brian. Um, you know, the the podcast is a is a new media for us. It's it's becoming uh, very popular in the hunting industry. Well, actually, it's becoming popular. Period. Out there, people are listening to a lot of them. Um, and you know, this is a great opportunity for us to fulfill our mission statement just through a different media. You know, our mission statement is to help hunters become better hunters um, while entertaining them and giving them knowledge. And this is just another way of doing that. It's. Uh, much like the TV show or the magazines or or our digital platforms with the e news and all that stuff, it's this it's the same um, it's the same information. We're just delivering it in a different way. So, and I think that's the future of of media. Period is you know it's a digital world out there. 
how much information do we get digitally now versus you know the traditional magazines or newspapers or whatever? In fact, I laugh at my wife sometimes. She she'll find things on Facebook. I'm like, yeah, that was in the news yesterday, but she acts like it's brand new. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I know it is a digital world, and it's it's all kind of changing right in front of our eyes. And I think the podcast it's just growing exponentially. You know, as we sit here and as we talk, it's growing. I mean, I even look at the last couple of years, how much it's grown. And still, we're, we're only reaching, there's only 15% of the population that have even found podcasts now, but they're going to start putting them, you know, in all vehicles, they're going to come standard. And so I think it's only going to grow from here. So, uh, you know, even though they've been out and going for a while, I still think we're on the forefront of it launching this hunting podcast. Yeah. 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 And, and I'm super excited about it just with the brand of Eastman's. And, and I mean, um, that's kind of how I got involved with Eastman's is just by reading the magazine and using it as a resource, watching the videos and just dreaming of someday being able to get published in this, you know, in the bow hunting journal or in the hunting journal, you know, working really hard, gathering this information, finally getting published and then getting a chance to, to write pro staff articles and, and now a chance to, to do video work and now this podcast. So, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm so fortunate and so happy that, that we can partner and launch this. And I know that Eastman's is going to help me get better guests and, and just help me grow this podcast faster. And so I'm super excited to have guests like you guys on there is just amazing. Well, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a great trip as, as we learn and evolve and change and, and rely on our, on our audience to, to dictate what content we talk about, what content you talk about, and uh, you know whatever help we can, we can lend in that is fantastic. And I appreciate you taking the time and, and, and giving us the opportunity to help you. Mm-hmm. Well, it's definitely a learn as I go uh, from everything from the technical side to, to subject matter. And I know we, we had a meeting this morning to kind of talk about the future of the podcast and, and what we want to do and, and where we want to go and how we want to grow it. Um, uh, but it's all just a learn in progress. But I think that's, you know, like anything we, we've done over the years or you guys have done over the years. Um, it's kind of a self-taught and pay attention around you and try to get better as you go. Yeah, there's a lot of things that have evolved around evolved in this company you know one of the one of the things that really evolved if you look at uh, the first issue of bow magazine which we're on our hundredth issue coming up uh, we're starting to build it right now just look at the how that thing has evolved and i'll let guys talk to some of the history of that how how it's changed why it was started um you know the the industry outtake on it it's it's a it's a unique animal for sure yeah, I could not get enough of the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal when it came out. Um, you know, I'm bow hunting heavy, and I, I've hunted with all different weapons. And, and But the Bow Hunting Journal, when that came out, was such a good resource for our guys. How did you, um, what gave you the vision to want to start that magazine and start the Bow Hunting Exclusive Journal? And did you ever think it would go? Well, it was, uh, you know, we weren't sure how well it would be received. We knew there were bow hunters out there, you know, when it came out. The concept, we devised a concept back in 1997. I don't know, that's uh, quite a while ago, seems like nowadays, but seems like yesterday to me. But 1997, we devised a concept. Basically, it was it was stemmed from the hunting journal. We kept getting bow stories, and at that time, the hunting journal just had a blend of bow, muzzleloader, rifle. It was just western hunting, period. And then, you know, as bow hunting started to grow out west, 
back, you know, around that time frame and guys started to get more serious about bow hunting and guys started to exclusively bow hunt out here. You know, it, back east it had been done, you know, bow hunting had been popular for a lot longer, but, um, you know, it seemed like in the, the 80s and 90s, bow hunting really shot up uh, the the experience and the, the people being more serious about it out west during that time frame as, as guys started hunting elk um, more and more with a bow and calling them in. And, and the, the states out west started uh, offering archery-only hunts, archery seasons, that kind of thing. And so it just kind of exploded. And that's when we came up with the concept, hey, we need to separate these two magazines. We think there's enough, you know, there's obviously enough stories now coming in. Because back then, you know, we got both stories, but not a lot. And it just got more and more each year as guys got more serious about their bow hunting. And uh, and we finally started getting enough stories. I think Dad had it rattling around his head to have a bow magazine because he was a, a rep in the archery industry for years and years. And uh, he always had that rattle around his brain for or his head for a long time, and then he, you know, we just decided finally that we had had enough archery stories coming in. We thought we could split those two magazines out and have one that was exclusively, you know, bow related. And uh, so, in 1999, we we did that. I think the first issue was the fall of 1999. So when yeah, it started, and it it sure grown into a beast of its own, and it continues to to gain popularity. You know, you look at Western tags and Western bow hunting, and it, it and it's growing uh, to to be a, a beast of its own. And as far as getting tags and being able to hunt out west with a bow, there's a a lot of guys that are being drawn to it. So, you know, I, I think you guys got in on the forefront of it, but I can just see that magazine to continually grow and get bigger. Yeah, it does. I mean, I think that, you know, the bow, there's a lot of potential with the bow hunting, obviously, mostly because of seasons, tags, you know, less people out there, you know, a lot of rifle guys, even older guys who've rifle hunted since they were kids in their 50s and 60s have started picking up a bow just so they can have the favorable season, a little nicer weather, less pressure out there. You know, it's more like it was hunting with a rifle, say, 30, 40 years ago. You know, you didn't, you don't see anybody, hardly anybody. Um, a state like Wyoming, I mean, less than 10% of the population here bow hunts. So, you know, uh, when you go out bow hunting here, you hardly see anybody. That's what I love is the opportunity and having it on your own. And you're able to hunt these units that would take you... 10 or 12 years with a rifle and you can hunt them in two or three years with a bow and there's so much opportunity when you're bow hunting it just seems like uh you're able to locate and see a bunch of critters and then it's just a matter of how to figure out how to kill them where you know rifle hunting you, you spend a lot of your time looking for the critter you're trying to kill it just seems like there's a lot of opportunity with the favorable favorable seasons uh you know bow hunting i think that's why it's gained popularity I think so, and I think, you know, there's a lot of rifle hunters who should pick up bow hunting and, and kind of get back to the basics of what hunting is all about, the stalking, the spotting, the getting close to animals. You know, you don't need to shoot them 1,200 yards away. You know, you can get in close. I mean, bow hunters are getting more and more efficient than ever before. You know, like I talked about earlier, we had a hard time, you know, getting enough bow stories to start the magazine. And back then, if you killed a six-point bull with a bow, that was really something. I mean, and, and four-point buck deer, that was really something. And now, I mean, these guys are killing giant bulls and bucks. In fact, the biggest bulls in the West are usually killed in the bow seasons. 
mm-hmm. you know, yeah, because, because of the, the rut. rut. Yep, yep, exactly. And, and now what we've seen, I just wrote about it in the latest EHJ, you know, this year we've seen a, we will see, it has not been official yet, but we will see a new bow hunting world record mule deer and a new world record elk. And both of those, uh, the deer and the elk are within like less than 5% smaller than only five percent smaller than the world record rifle wow so i mean you know as time has gone on last 20 years that gap between the world record rifle animals and the world record bow have has collapsed completely yeah absolutely i I think we will see an all-time world record killed with a bow you know any weapon in the in the next 10 or 20 years it's gonna happen with the yeah. favorable seasons you know they're tougher to kill with a bow but more opportunity you know yeah. more chances to get it right yeah um huh crazy and now and and you guys are doing hunts with your rifle and with your bow um you had a bow hunt this year you did in colorado a backpack hunt that you did with your bow that you had waited quite a few years for yeah i'm a i'm an opportunist i put in for the rifle the bow whatever's the favorable season fits in the schedule i hunt both you know some guys are do most you know exclusively archery like dan and, and you mostly um but i'm an i'm an opportunist so yeah i try to move some of those bow hunts you know higher tag tough tag draws into the bow just like you do you get a little little easier draw i mean it's i think it took me nine 10 points to draw that tag and for the rifle tag it takes like 20 so wow. I, mean, I was able to cut it in half mm-hmm. and uh and still get into the area and chase the elk around in a favorable season not in october you're right in the rut in september when it's a lot a lot more excitement and i didn't see another bow hunter once i left the road mm-hmm. i mean so it's yeah really- nice weather too nice oh, camping yeah. weather and enjoyable and um it, it's tough to live at twelve thousand feet you know coming those later seasons yeah, you wouldn't want to be up there at uh, 12, 13,000 feet in, right now. No, for sure. In the uh, late season. For sure. And it sounds like you saw a bunch of elk in there and chased them around quite a bit, saw some good bulls. Yep, there was plenty of elk in there, a lot of elk. They were really high. I mean, living at 13,000 feet above timberline where all the feed is. So it, it just makes it a tough hunt mm-hmm. just because of the elevation and the country. But, I mean, it's so open, you're just seeing elk constantly. Um, so that makes it a lot of fun. Saw a lot of bulls. Saw some good bulls, but nothing gigantic, and uh, I kind of made a mistake like we all do. I kind of moved that hunt a little too early. I should have bumped it a little later. I uh, had to leave for another hunt just when the rut started to really take off. Yeah, oh, gotcha. It's constantly a live and learn, isn't it, on yeah. these hunts and trying to figure out how you do it better next time or how you'd handle it. But I, it, it, part of the fun of hunting, the evolution and the ever-evolving circle, you know, of, of trying to gain information and be as good as you can be. But it's it's never a given, is it? No, it isn't. And you know how it is, Brian. You go into a new area. That's a, the drawback of those tough to draw areas that take 10 years to draw is you go in there and you've never been there before of course i'm getting tips from some friends and other people who've hunted it and did all my maps and research but you're just never as efficient as if you've hunted it three or four times Mm -hmm. you know you just don't quite know where that creek drainage comes out you don't know if you can get off this cliff band from here or you know you just those things that make a big little things that can make a huge difference in a hunt Versus an area you go, you've been in four or five times. You know exactly where to go. You know where they water. You know where they bed. You know where they go when they've been bumped. You you know all those things, and and you're not having to 
go through that learning process on the fly. Mm-hmm. So would you say you're drawn more to those hunts that you can do every two, three years uh, and then just mixing and matching some of these hunts that take more points or what's your application application strategy? Uh, for me, it just kind of depends on the state. Each state's a little unique. Uh, my home state of Wyoming, it's easy for me to draw here. And so I kind of go toward those middle of the road areas that I can hunt every two, three years. Mm-hmm. and get real efficient at hunting them and and i've had good success that way um the further i venture from home the the more i'm i'm apt to go into those really tough to draw areas mm-hmm. like for instance arizona for instance new mexico if i'm going to go clear down there during the elk rut because that's a two-week burn out of your schedule because it takes you two days to get down there two days to get back you know you're you're gone for 10 12 days out of the peak rut time for elk i'm gonna only go down that far down south if it's the be- one of the best areas oh that's a good strategy yeah if you're gonna travel all the way down there and hunt it um yeah to try to try to save up and and go for one of the better units where you know you're gonna have a good experience down there yep yeah exactly, sure. exactly. Your, your wife sure got some good luck with drawing tags huh uh, yeah she's she's really good Good luck. I don't know something about her name in that computer system. She draws tags pretty consistently here in Wyoming that have like sheep type odds. I, I don't know what the heck the deal is, but she keeps keeps drawing them. I, I just keep ratcheting it up. Every year I just put her in for harder and harder stuff. And she still <laughs> seems to pull the tags. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and she keeps herself in good shape, wasn't it? I think it was Ike was telling me she did a, an Iron Man. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. How do yeah. you keep up with her? I don't. <laughs> I'm just a support crew. I don't want any part of that. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> awesome. No, you guys have had some good hunts together. I, she's drawn a couple good tags. I, I think last year and then this year you were telling me she drew a good tag, right? She drew a really good elk tag here in Wyoming where there's only 25 or 35 tags I think available and uh, and I made a mistake on that one too I kind of pushed it a little too late had a good bull found was gonna go in there snowstorm coming in so I decided to wait till after the snow you know thinking it'll be perfect first snowstorm of the year we'll get three four or five maybe six inches and I'll be able to see right where that bull's been in that drainage and we got four feet up oh, there man. and so it just totally scrambled the elk and i was back to square one and by the time i got them relocated and figured out you know just the season well the season didn't end i had to go to arizona for for thanksgiving so mm-hmm. i had to pull off the hunt early so we ended up eating the tag but that's another thing you know a lot of people don't realize you watch the show and stuff you think we fill every tag i'm sure you're the same way people think you fill every tag you ever draw because that's what you see in the magazine or on tv but yeah i thought you fill every tag and you never miss half of them <laughs> 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 I bet half, half, oh, probably about half of them get eaten yep on a good year maybe a third yeah on a rough year half oh, i think it's so good to let our audience know um, yeah, that all of us, we all eat really good tags that we wait years for. It's just not easy, you know, and that's why we try to gain as much knowledge as we can and come in as prepared as we can come in, but um, it, it's just never easy, and it seems like even on a good tag, it, it's always tougher than you imagine or tougher that you, than you plan on when you get there, you know, and it's about um, trying to trying to adapt, evolve, and overcome, you know, when you when you get those tags to be successful, and it is a, it's a perfect storm when it comes together. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you set benchmarks for an area, you know, in your mind and you get caught up in that. And it's, you know, sometimes you just, it doesn't work out. You just have uh, things that are out of your control that, you know, come up and and you don't end up 
filling a tag, but that's okay. I mean, I've eaten Arizona elk tags. I've eaten Colorado elk tags. Take 12 years to draw, but I've had good luck on some tags that were just thrown in my lap, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, uh, I shouldn't have drawn or were easy to draw and had a good hunt that way. So it's, you know, luck goes both ways. Yeah. And you gotta just embrace the experience, you know, yep. and, and have fun no matter which hunt you're on in, in the journey of trying to harvest a trophy animal. And when it does come together, it means that much more. Exactly. Yeah. There's a few areas like that here in Wyoming that I've ate the tag two years. And then the third year I really had it figured out and got a really nice, trophy and it was all worthwhile you know you just kind of put all the pieces together that you've learned in there for the last few years and and it all comes together and it just makes it all that much sweeter i mean it wouldn't i guess it wouldn't be quite as much uh fun or or challenge if you just filled every tag you ever drew right it's part of the fun (laughs) yeah (laughs) right so so um both of you guys, you know, uh, uh, have now taken over the Eastman's company and done great things with it. When did you guys know that, that you were going to make Eastman's your job and make, um, you know, this company, it was going to be what you were going to do? Uh, for me, I was the first one involved in the company. And actually, when I came to the company, a different corporation owned it. My parents had sold it while, the company while I was in college. And it was based, the office was moved to to Montana. And so I was doing engineering work and they needed somebody at the office because dad, Mike, refused to move to Montana. He wanted to stay in Wyoming. And so they need someone there to help run it. The new hunting, knew the business, knew the culture, all that kind of thing. Because they weren't in the hunting business. They were a magazine and newspaper publisher. So they weren't in the hunting business at all and had no one there. You can imagine a bunch of newspaper people. They don't know much about hunting at all. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had the opportunity to come come to uh, work for a company up there and run the office. And, yeah, I took advantage of it. To tell you the honest God truth, they had a really good elk hunt plan that year that Dad said I could go on. And I just went that thought, well, if it doesn't work out, at least I got a good elk hunt out of it for the first fall. And... And uh, I've been here ever since. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, what about you, Ike? When did you know that you were going to work for Eastman's? I'm a little different. Guy, 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 and I, people don't realize this. Guy and I are five years apart. So when Guy started working for the company, I was in college. Um, and, and I started, actually started in the company when I was a kid. When I was in high school, I'd work summers and stuff here and, and in the shipping department and order entry and I'm not besides design there might not be a job I haven't done in this company but then I went to college and graduated college and I went to uh, actually I have a banking uh, background I worked in the banking industry for a number of years and my parents uh, when they purchased it back from that company that guy was talking about um, they were running for a couple years and they were struggling with with uh, some of the financing side because as, as dad tells everybody he barely has a high school education um, and so they asked me to come back and, and run the finances and, and as they were growing, you know, as, as, as business owners out there know, you can grow yourself broke very easily. And the magazines were growing 15, 20% a year and um, you're outlaying all that. So they asked me to come back in 2003 and, and you know, it was a pretty hard decision because I had, I had, uh, I had my, my world planned out for the next 10 years very easily. 
Um, in fact, just the other day, my wife and I went back to where we moved from, Sheridan, Wyoming, and I was talking to one of the kids that I worked really close with, and he's now running that whole region. And Candy and I were, my wife and I were talking, and I said, you know, that could have been me if I would have stayed with that. 10, 15 years ago, I could have been running a region by now. And it was the best decision. Um, you know, this thing, it's like, it was like our little brother, this company was. We put so much into it as kids, um, just doing odd and ends jobs, dad being gone, helping mom make sure that it still worked as much as a kid can. And, uh, you know, I couldn't turn my back on that. So it was, well, I'll come back and run the finances and see what it is. And, and then my parents in 2008 said, you know, or 2007 said, you know, we're, we're kind of tired of this. We've been doing it for 20 years. And um, do you guys want to buy it from us? And so Guy and I put together a plan and uh, ex executed it and, and uh, went into more debt than I ever wanted to. <laughs> ever thought possible. Being from the finance world, I knew what that actually meant. And uh, we paid it off early. Paid it off way early and it's a debt-free company and it's rolling. It's, a, it's fun. You know, it's a, it's, there's a grind, but there, it, it, with every job, it's, there's ups and downs and and we're blessed to be in a business that we've been in for a long time and doing what we love to do. So hopefully yeah, we can continue that. Yeah, for sure. Well, and you, um, like you say, it built on the groundwork uh, of Mike Eastman and what he did uh, you know, for the company and then for you guys to take over and continue the legacy. But it, it's all due to, to hunting knowledge and, and these next level tips and tactics. And your dad started with seminars and, and uh, uh, started by selling the magazine that way and, and could barely pay his way to get started and all the sacrifice in the first... 10, 15 years, and and uh, and then with you guys taking over, you know, I know I I always love to read the writing in there, and the the tips and tactics were always next up, and that's how I gained all my information and how I was able to write and get published, and then get noticed by you guys and get a get a job doing you know uh, writing for you guys and and now the podcast, but. Um, I still, I think everything with this company just keeps evolving, you know, the, the new ideas out there and, and this new age of hunting, um, you know, where you have to gather so much information and, and you have to learn, you know, your private public boundaries and which units to put in for and, and, and Eastman's has just continually been the best resource out there for guys to, to get good next level tactics for, for Western hunting. And I think that's why, you know, you guys have continually been successful. Well, and the gear changes. I mean, if you look at the gear, just in the bow hunting's uh, magazine's lifetime, the, how the gear has changed. Look at the the bows, you know, a hundred issues ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, versus where they are now. Look at the backpacks. They weren't. Nobody was building hunting backpacks back then. They, you know, people were using mountaineering backpacks if they were serious, or they were using junk. And you know, just the gears evolved. The tactics have, have evolved. You know, and and um, it, it it's been fun to watch, and it's been it's been exciting as it changes and evolves, and and how the media's uh, change and evolve, and what people are interested in, how they gather their information, and you know, social media and all that. It's it's been really really fun to watch. Yeah, for sure. And now, um, like you say, we, we evolved into this this internet age of things, and now um, you guys are launching a new TV show, Beyond the Grid TV show. And that's going to be a new series with original content that's different than like the Outdoor Channel and that. 
Yeah, basically we uh, will be, you know, cherry picking or selecting specific hunts just for that show, just like it was a another show on a channel. So it'll be 100% unique, specific uh, material. Um, the episodes aren't quite as long just because, you know, the attention span of, of uh, people on the, in a digital platform is a little different than television. And so, you know, most of them run 10 to 15 minutes instead of a full 30-minute type uh, segment. But the good thing is, you know, television is creates a, a box for you to fit in. It's 28 minutes, 30 seconds, this many commercials, this, you know, it's, it's all very regimented by design you know plug and play fit it into this square square peg in a square hole where as the digital world we can get away with whatever we want we can make it as long as we want some longer some shorter doesn't matter you know uh, different we can do more creative things with sponsor stuff equipment tips tactics talk about things a little differently show shots you know kill scenes uh, over and over repeat uh you can here's here's a good one. You can actually shoot a bedded animal on on our YouTube channel. We can't do that on TV. Isn't that stupid? Because people, old ladies, go nuts when they see that. They think, well, that poor buck was sleeping, and you snuck up and shot it. Well, yeah. How stealthy are you to sleep up on a bedded sleeping buck? Right. Right. He just had a bad dream and lights out. That's how I'd want to go. But you know, some people just go nuts about that. But on a digital platform, we can get away with that kind of stuff, and and so. You know, I mean, we're not getting rid of the TV show either, but we're just, you know, taking some of this other additional extra content that we have and, and you know, packaging it a little differently and presenting it differently to a, to a digital audience. Because as we all know, I mean, there's the television audience and then there's the, the cord cutters. Younger people, a lot of them don't watch TV. They get their entertainment through other medias just like this. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah. it's, so it's a different world. You kind of have two two different worlds. I'm a... Generation Xer, so I'm in kind of in between. I'm in the middle, and so I have full-on cable TV at my house and the old school stuff. You know, get the newspaper and that kind of thing. But also, I fiddle around with a, my smartphone and whatnot. But the younger generation, some of the guys working over here in their twenties, they've never paid a cable bill in their life. You Crazy, know? isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that gets back to what you were talking about about the company evolving. Is we have to, you know, constantly be moving, and and we're never we're not definitely not going to turn our back on our older more mature customers like myself and my dad's generation who they want stuff ink on paper watching on television put a dvd in the machine that's great and then we also have a side that's appealing to that younger generation where you and ike are and younger where they don't do those traditional things they get the non-traditional digital media consumption you know the, the information's the same we're still talking about Trophy hunting, equipment, tactics, big bucks, bulls, rams, adventure, all that kind of thing. It's just a different presentation delivery method. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I like how, um, because I know TV is restrictive, like you talk about, and, and you've done a good job at telling the story and putting out really good episodes for guys, but you do. You have to break for every commercial, and then you have to come back and tell a piece of the story after the commercial, and it's 22 minutes, and it's so, like you say, um, uh, fit in a square peg in a square hole. I bet it's nice to 
to be able to free yourself from that and and in the internet show tell a different story and and whatever the episode length is is whatever it ends up and and you can just be a little bit more creative so that's kind of neat and it's um it's turning the corner to where most people are getting their media nowadays and like you say um not getting away from tv but i think it's good to, to embrace that as well yeah exactly and you know you can get you get to a, a digital format for the Beyond the Grid show. It's a little bit more raw, a little bit more as it happened. You know, we want that show to feel more like you're just following along on the hunt. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just right behind Dan or or you or me or whoever, just just as as a partaking in the hunt. A little more raw, a little less refined. Television wants things really refined, polished. You know, glitzy, glammy, rock and roll music, graphics, all that kind of thing. In the mm-hmm. digital world, I think those people want it a little more real. Oh, gotcha. You okay. know? I mean, the content's all real, but the presentation, they want it a little more gritty, a little more real, feel like mm-hmm. they're getting dirty and, and you know, going to help you gut that bull out or chop it up and haul it off the mountain with you, or, you know, kind of feel feeling instead of a more packaged, polished presentation. Oh, I got to check it out. I saw that the first episode, it looked like a, a giant bull from Montana. Um, did Dan film that hunt? Is that yep, how that went yep. down? Yeah, Dan filmed one of his his, his buddies. Okay. And uh, they, uh, they killed a giant bull, 374, just a huge, huge bull. Wow. In Montana. I mean, just, just a giant. It's a really, really neat episode. And there's some you know funny spots, a little more humor and bantering back and forth than what you'd see probably on our TV show. So. Oh, that's perfect. And where do I find that at? You can, we, well, I'm more into that part of it. You can get it on YouTube. It'll be, it, it's on uh, Eastman's, uh, Eastman's Journal's YouTube channel. It'll have its own YouTube channel as we start building episodes. Um, Dan uh, Picard is actually, he's the head of that, of that uh, TV show. So as he build, starts building a couple other episodes, we'll have its own YouTube channel and share it back and forth. You can also get it on our website through Vimeo if that's uh, interesting to you. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things that we're just going to place it everywhere we can. And um, that way, whoever is kind of like these podcasts, whatever podcast platform you use, hopefully it's there. So whatever video cord cutting, um, you know, platform you use, if it's YouTube or Vimeo, or if you don't want to go to our website and watch it, it's there. So. Oh, perfect. And I saw the next episode is a, is a giant whitetail buck, is that yep. right? Yep, in Montana. Yep. A giant one, right? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really fun. Dan takes a couple of his buddies. and uh, His brother. He, or his brother and one of their buddies. And, okay. it, and it's, it, it literally feels like you're right there. Because, you know, just the bantering amongst the three of them who grew up together and, and the excitement and... And, uh, you know, the one guy that shoots the big buck wasn't sure how big it was and them, you know, giving each other, uh, heckling each other. It's, it's, it's fun. <laughs> it's a crazy episode. I mean, as you know, us Western guys, you know, if you're going to hunt out here effectively for the real big stuff, you always got to have or are looking for advantages, right? I mean, mm-hmm. even a little advantage. But this is a public land DIY whitetail that's um right at 170 wow i mean that's that's pretty impressive for a public land diy hunt but you know the advantage they had is it was a limited dry area but there the gates were closed it was state land but it was like walk in only Mm -hmm. so they had to ride their bikes they rode their mountain bikes 12 miles in there 
into just this sweet honey hole that had just tons of whitetail rutting and they ended, his brother shot a really nice buck and then you know they had this encounter with this giant buck so they got two bucks down in five minutes after hunting for five days you know how that is it you know when it's good, it's good. When it rains, it pours, right? Oh, good for those guys. Yeah, yeah. they earned it, too. And with their research, that's just a, a vintage Eastman's what we're looking for. Public land, do it yourself. Ride your mountain bike in 12 miles and then yep. kill a buck like that. That's incredible. Good yep. for them. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, yeah. we're hoping that'll launch uh, right around the, uh, probably February, March, something like that. Okay. So we'll, we're hoping to do five or six of these episodes a year. And then as it, as it gains popularity, we'll do more and more. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I can't wait to see the bantering back and forth with the, with the brothers. And that's part of what hunting is. I mean, what was it like for, for you guys uh, growing up in Jackson Hole and living there and hunting together? Um, there was never any fights or anything like that, huh? No, we never <laughs> <laughs> one, of, one of the unique things, like I said before, is we're five years apart. So when Guy turned back then, you had to be 14 to hunt Wyoming. So when Guy turned 14, I was still nine. I mean, I was just a kid, and uh, so there, we didn't hunt. We hunted, I guess, your first mule deer on your first mule deer and your first antelope, and then um, you know he hunted in high school as as I was just a yeah. By the time I turned fourteen, I was gone. Yeah, you were college, college. so we never really hunted together as kids. Yeah, we didn't um, do much of that until you know in later years when we both came back to the company. So there wasn't a lot of fights. We growing up in Jackson was fun though. It was Jackson when we were kids was this you know, cow town that had 7,000 people live in it and, and uh, it died in the winter and, you know, no one was there in the winter and it, and it didn't have a lot of popularity and it was like living in our own version of Disney World. I mean, we had cricks everywhere, we fished, we grew up with, this is ironic, we grew up without TV and so if it was, if we wanted entertained, we had to go outside and we did a lot of stuff outside. I mean, Everything from sledding and snowmobiling and skiing in the winter to, to um, you know, tubing and down creeks and Hunting almost and drowning and yeah. fishing. Oh my gosh! Camping. Yeah, constantly camp. We'd go as a group of kids, five of us, and we'd go camping for three days. I mean, can you imagine letting your nine to fourteen year old kid nowadays go camping? Number one, there's bears here now. Number two, there's wolves. Number three, who knows what kind of trouble they get into. Our parents were like, yeah, that's fine. We, we're trying to put together magazines, so have fun. Go, go do that. <laughs> it was a different day and time, but it, it was, uh, uh, like you say, you'd never do it in today's day and age, but it was a great, great way to be raised. And um, Man, I'm sure you guys got into some trouble oh, when they yeah. just leave you alone for three days in the woods and let you go for it. Yeah, we, we did some things. I look back now and go, how did we not die? <laughs> you know, I learned some lessons the hard way. Yeah. Start a fire with diesel, not gasoline. Cow moose are angry when you chase them. They, they chase back and you end up spending a night in a tree. <laughs> I mean, things like that. Yeah, don't get on a horse on the right side that you don't know. I mean, you, you just go through the list of things you learned the hard way and... That river, and it was, that river it was is fun. too big to swim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, as young boys, we're given this vehicle to drive in where we just uh, don't have enough common sense to, to, to make right uh, of every situation. We have to learn as we go, for sure. And, um, God, that's crazy. So spent the night up in a tree trying to hide from a cow moose, you know, huh? My, my sister and I were up and another friend of ours, we were what we called the pond. And it was, I don't know how far it was, a couple miles maybe from our house. And we were in this big aspen grove. And 
cow moose decided to chase us and chased us up a tree and we spent the night up there. We were supposed to be camping. We could see our camp from there. <laughs> she would not get away from that tree, lay down at the bottom, and you're sitting there going, this is going to be a rough night. But it's just stupid things like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, boy, they can get pretty angry, can't they? When they <laughs> yeah. a calf around. I don't even think she had a calf. I think she was just being naughty. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of guys that are more scared of moose than they are grizzly bear. Yeah. Those things can get ornery. I remember one of my buddies came back to camp one time and um, just scared the hell out of me. He was going to hike out of our backcountry camp and go home. He had to get back to work or something. He showed up back at camp and just white as a ghost. And his quiver was busted off his bow. And uh, <laughs> I think he, I think he shot. Um, I think he shot over her, but may have been shooting at her at the time, just couldn't hit her. Um, but yeah, he got charged and knocked down in between this cow and this calf. And then that, that calf kept chasing them to be friends with them, and that cow kept getting madder and madder. But yeah, no, those things can get on, right? Oh, man. Uh, my buddy and I one time went up the pond he was talking about, and we were just picked up archery. We were only like 13 years old. We weren't even old enough to hunt yet, but we had bows, little PSE bows. I don't even think they pulled... 35 pounds but he had one of those rubber point arrows on it just for plinking rabbits and stuff and this bull moose stepped out and he decided he was going to practice and he rear back and let that sucker rip at that moose shoulder just as practice and that arrow bounced off that bull and he here he come he was (laughs) nose skidding on the ground horns down full blast and i think one of us, their bow is still up on the side of that hill. <laughs> that was a, one of the dumbest things he ever did. Because those things can really move. Mm-hmm. When they we want to. We had a three-wheeler there. We jumped on and we were going down the road full blast and now we're in it. But that moose was ornery. Oh, man. Left one of your bows on the hillside. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It wasn't going back for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. I think it went back a couple of days later. But, I mean, just the stupid things you do as kids. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, the trouble you get into. Well, now, um, you know, out west, we got to be really careful with all the bears over here. They're starting to get um, uh, thicker and thicker and, and more and more ornery. I know there was that bear attack around where I am um, that Todd Orr, who's mm-hmm. a buddy of mine I shoot league with, but he went up that north fork of Bear Creek Trail there and was attacked this year by that sow and that cub and had bear spray, had a pistol on him and couldn't get his pistol out, attacked a couple times. You know, I'd probably... I've been up that trail probably 150 times. I know exactly where he's heck, but you just hit that wrong day and go up the trail and catch up with the mama sow grizz that's torqued off, and boy, look out. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it was not like that when we were kids, thank goodness. I mean, there's no way I would let my daughter do some of the things we did for that reason. I mean, you just can't. You just want the grizzlies around here, and they're in town pretty much. I mean, it's not like... They're way up high in the mountains. They're they could be anywhere we around a, here. We had a sow and cubs den up last year right here on the river. Right? Oh, you're kidding! Just down the road yeah. here, so. less than five miles from town. Wow. Yeah. And we, you know, it's it's crazy. It, yeah, it's a whole different world. It's a major concern. You got to be uh, as prepared as you can be, and you can't let fear overcome you. But at the same time, you got to be prepared and ready and play situation smart because you definitely don't want to get mauled by one of those things. Yeah. No, moose were the, uh, the least of our worries now because there aren't any. They're all gone. <laughs> They've been replaced with grizzly bears and wolves. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, now this is super, guys. Like I say, I couldn't be more excited about the podcast and being able to launch this with you and. and uh, uh, we got the 100th issue of Eastman's now coming out, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. I'm super excited about that. 
And uh, I hope I have a piece in there. I think I got my uh, my project today from Dan um, for that <laughs> for that one. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I just couldn't be happier to be partnered with you guys and doing this podcast. So thanks a bunch for sitting down with me and and sharing. And hope to do a lot more of these in the future. Sure, anytime. Yeah, we're excited. Thanks, Brian. Yep, thank you, thank you, Brian. Okay, that's a wrap. Another episode of Eastman's Elevated in the books. I want to thank Guy and Ike Eastman for sitting down and having such an authentic, uh, honest conversation with me and, and just some really good information in there and, and really interesting, you know, to hear about some of the different stuff in there. So um, I, I just can't thank him enough and I, I can't wait to sit down with him again. 45 minutes isn't nearly enough time to, to get all the information out that those guys have. Uh, so I really want to sit down and do more about elk and mule deer and hunting out west and, and pick their brains a little bit more. So, so more of that to come in the future. Um, I want to thank Matthews for sponsoring this podcast and standing behind it means a, a bunch to me and they're they're putting out some really good bows nowadays and I, I can't wait to get this new Halon 32 in my hands. Um, if you guys like what you hear or like the guests on here, make sure you reach out to them and, and let them know that you like the information they shared and you liked them on Eastman's Elevated. Uh, nothing helps me out more than when guys get positive feedback for putting themselves out there and, and uh, giving away tips and tactics here on, on Eastman's Elevated. So till next time, shoot straight guys. We'll talk at you soon.